Coming to you live from Austin, Texas, the Queen City in North Carolina, New York City. This is the Good Faith Podcast for the month of June 2021. This month, Ted Cruz uh, goes fishing poorly. Jeb Bush's 2016 presidential campaign is officially over. Greg Kelly craves red beans at the Popeyes again. Neo-Nazi sympathizer Virgil Texas threatens the Bad Faith Podcast grift. Charlie Kirk continues to not know what things are. Maduro is forced to choose between two ideologies left to him, neoliberalism or Juche. Alex Jones cited like a Bigfoot at a strip club of all places, and the Lord called Donald Rumsfeld and Mike Gravel home. Morgan and I today are joined by Ben, our New York-based political consultant. So, Ben, what the heck is going on up there? Hey guys, thank you for having me. And the truth is, I'm glad you asked because we don't know. We actually literally Board don't know. That that's that's one of the no. ironies of this is that we I we ask that question and you answer rhetorically and we actually don't. So what happened with New York City's mayoral primary this month? So where do we even start? Where would you like so to as as you know, as you may know, we have a uh, ranked choice voting this primary as opposed to traditional first past the post. Now, because of the way this is going to be reported, it's going to be made to look like upon headlines that due to new implementation of ranked choice voting, that is the cause for the mistakes and the pandemonium. However, the reality is more complicated than that. So. This past week, this Tuesday, not this Tuesday, a few Tuesdays ago on the 23rd, what is time anymore? That's when election day was at the tail end of early voting period. Now in New York, this has been law for a few years in New York state, is if you submit your absentee ballot, you can actually go in election day and vote in person and that cancels out your absentee ballot. And in theory, this is done to give voters more options if they don't feel comfortable later on. However, this delays the process because absentees have to be counted later to make sure they cross-reference the in-person votes to make sure there's no double voting. So this is one reason for a delay that everything happens slower. Thankfully this year, they actually have automatic ballot counting machines as opposed to hand counting. So when it comes to RCV, they released the first round of RCV results the Tuesday after Election Day. Only they made a slight boo-boo and that when they were testing the RCV software, as they should, it's great to run a test, they had about 140,000 ballots in the test to make it go through. And when they ran the full scenario of RCV, sans absentee, but just Election Day ballots, they, for some reason, forgot to zero out the testing software and included the test ballots in <laughs> the rank choice voting calculation. So the first few people to raise the alarm were Aaron Foldenauer outside of the uh, top eight candidates and Eric Adams. They were quickly mocked. However, a few short hours later, everyone said, oh no, this doesn't seem right. Why are these candidates receiving significantly more of the vote today as opposed to election day? This makes no sense. 
And as it turned out, they included those test ballots in there. This was rectified the next day after they pulled the results. And so while some people say RCV is chaos, it was in fact a long history of incompetence and from the Board of Elections. I mean, in fact, New York 12, which is a Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney's district, just this past year, her primary was close enough where it took a very long time to count. This was before the automatic counting machines were there. This was one of Trump's prime examples of why elections are fraudulent because it took so long to count. Stop the count. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. So, so uh, just uh, to uh. be, just to summarize, New York City's that the this is the Democratic primary for for mayor. This is the, correct. This is the yes. part, and they had a test run of RCV with test ballots, like test ballots that could have come from anywhere. I'm just going to make say that. Yes. And then they accidentally mixed up the test ballots, which are not real ballots, with the real ballots that people cast in New York City's primary election for mayor. That's correct. When they ran the calculation, they were all mixed together. So I think we found... So And how many ballots was this? Uh, it was around 140. So 000. I think we found all of Donald Trump's 140,000 fake ballots that he said were cast in the 2020 presidential election. We found them. We got them, guys. We go. found them all. They were in New York City the whole time. Yeah, Arizona is actually a part of New York. Yeah, City. exactly. Air, uh, uh, New York City just extends all the way to the West Coast, except it excludes, I don't know, San Francisco or something. But yeah. so that's uh, that's bad, obviously. That that seems like it's... Yes. Thankfully, it is very fixable because, you know, we have paper records of everything. This is why you don't go all digital in elections. You take the paper ballots and you put them in the machine. So it is 100% fixable. However, you know, democracy requires faith in the system. And that is shaken, which is concerning. Right. So why don't we go over some of the more colorful parts of of this primary because this this has actually been quite sure. an entertaining primary from what i understand from mm -hmm. the new york city perspective because most people outside of new york are not really familiar with how new york works in fact i still don't know how new york works after this election <laughs> so there have been some colorful candidates in this primary including for example a former contender for the democratic party nomination andrew yang was in was in this primary of all of all places um, yes. Uh, Eric Adams, I think, is widely considered to be the front runner. Uh, the number two or the runner up right now, I think, I believe is Catherine Garcia. And there's just been a whole slate of candidates. So what have been some of the interesting things that have come out of this primary? Gosh, so one thing I have to compliment about the field as a whole is there is no shortage of ideological diversity. If you're someone who considers yourself to be a leftist, you probably would have started with either Diane Morales or Scott Stringer who also has a big enough tent to be establishment. <laughs> big uh, tent. <laughs> oh. But, you know, let's start with Diane Morales on the left. So, you know, she considers herself to be a big, you know, I'm going to support unions. I'm going to support uh, social housing, public housing. You know, the usual left-wing stuff. The irony being, when it comes to her union support, is it turns out that she herself is a union buster. Her campaign staff midway through broke some stories and it turned out they tried to form a union 
after allegations of abuse by senior staff on the campaign, as well as you know discrimination towards women of color. So they attempted to form this and they went on strike. Eventually they were all fired. I believe there is one story about a 14 year old who was forced to work, not forced, pushed to work over like 40 hours per week, you know, no pay, just completely unfair conditions. They, so many of these were reasonable complaints. However, they also low level staffers asked for severance pay, which I do not believe is common for low level workers. I'd love to be corrected on that. I would love, but yes, I would love if, if, would, if I got severance pay from my stint working as a waiter at this two-bit diner. I mean, that, that would have been phenomenal, but. So there was a combination of a lot of reasonable complaints about the culture of the campaign, as well as we demand a lot. And well, the other, another demand that came on later on was uh, after they're all fired, they kept making a big publicity stink and uh, it became a, how do we fundraise? How do right. We fundraise? The mutual aid fund. I mean, hey. Yes. <laughs> but but the, the catch was forever, for every how many thousands of dollars, we'll tell you another fun, juicy fact about yeah. this story. Totally real and not made up. So that imploded after a while. Uh, Scott Stringer, who was a pretty left wing, he started off his campaign receiving the endorsements of some of the prominent left wing state senators like Julia Salazar, as well as some of the more, uh, let's say, normie left-wing people like uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler. Uh, he was at one point considered a front-runner because he's basically been running for two years. And then the allegations came through of uh, sexual assault. Now, I'm not an expert, so I can't comment on them, but they were deemed serious enough where most of his endorsements, Working Families Party, everything pretty much but UFT and Congressman Nadler, left and his campaign never recovered from that so other than that we have maya wiley she worked under de blasio um civil rights lawyer long history as well as a civilian complaint review board and she was a talking head on msnbc she fit a solidly left lane as well and after the working families party supported uh Diane Morales, <laughs> Scott Stringer, and then they said, "Okay, here's Maya Wiley." <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were. Oh. Oh, sorry, I had that backwards. They started with Stringer, then went to Diane Morales, and then Wiley. So they were, they were really hopscotching it there. There was just yeah, one after another it was after not another. Not a good year for them. <laughs> oh, so well, there. Well, you can afford to hopscotch in a primary that's got something like what 10, 12 at least. Candidates just on the dim side? Yeah, it's just not a good look for your organization, mm. at least in my opinion. But it seems that Maya Wiley, being in a solid third, it's possible with absentee she may end up in a second place. I don't believe she can win in her current standpoint, but that does show maybe they should have backed her from the start. Just goes to show that sexual assault allegations in New York City democratic politics are not uh are not uh inseparable from each other because mm -hmm. didn't the didn't this happen already didn't we already have a candidate for new york city mayor who yes anthony <laughs> still i'm sorry i can't his name is Wiener. i know yes. after all this time i try not to laugh but just so at the time actually when he was running for mayor 
if I remember correctly, there were not allegations of misconduct, just, you know, impropriety. Piety. Impropriety, yeah. With consensual, consensual messages sent with other women while he was married. However, one of the pictures did include a child nearby. Mm. It was not like a thing. It was bad. Wasn't that round two? Because he got busted the first time. Yeah, it happened the second multiple time times. Like, he kept doing his it. His pen name, Carlos Danger. I remember that. Yeah. he. I know, Morgan. That one makes you giggle every time. It was very oh. clearly a descent into bad bad stuff worth condemning so let's talk about some of the other candidates too because from what i understand sure sure so i did some work for the Catherine garcia campaign who may end up mayor Catherine garcia former commissioner of sanitation as well as uh, interim ceo of nycha and worked on the uh, department of environmental protection in new york as well so Catherine, i started with her in the petitioning phase and I remember going around, who is she? Is she the trash lady? Is she responsible for this waste transfer station? Most people did not know who she was until she received the New York Times endorsement and that vaulted her profile to frontrunner status. Now, Catherine Garcia, I consider her to be a practical progressive and she has bold policy ideas in the sense of a technocrat. She is the only candidate to acknowledge that we have a housing supply shortage. She, one of her, you know, campaign points that she keeps repeating is that we, we have X number of New Yorkers moving into the city. We haven't built enough housing for them all. So while she says that, yes, we do need some housing set aside to be affordable, 50,000 units of deeply affordable housing, she acknowledges that zoning laws need to be changed in order to actually build because we just need more housing. And she has the uh, technocratic experience. She has uh, every union. So one thing to remember with New York is that union politics are very strong. You cannot be against unions in New York City. Hmm. Union endorsements are coveted. When I was out on the trail, if you receive a union endorsement, they will show up for you and canvas for you. Uh, Catherine Garcia received the endorsement of every union she managed, which is all of these sanitation unions. So while that's not the largest population, it's nothing. It's not nothing. So she touted herself as the candidate with experience. She described herself as not running for office, but rather applying for the next job after commissioner. So after Catherine, we have Eric Adams, another front runner. He, I'd probably give him right now with where things stand in RCV minus the absentee, I would give him an 80% chance of being the next mayor, with Catherine Garcia being the other, maybe like 18%, Mike Wiley being 2%. Now, Mike Wiley, just to describe just to, just to, is uh, third in, in here right now with, with all the ballots that are counted. Garcia's second, Correct. and Eric Adams is first. Now, it's worth noting that Maya Wiley is very slightly behind Catherine Garcia. Like, it's, I believe, a few hundred. However, all the analysis done is that Maya Wiley will have a harder time picking up seconds, thirds, fourths, because Catherine Garcia spent her whole campaign sort of doing a broad coalition. I want the progressives. I also want the moderates, which in theory, she, you know, she did that partnership with Andrew Yang where they said, uh, let's campaign together. Andrew Yang's people should vote me number two. 
So in theory, Catherine Garcia should have a lot of number twos, threes, fours, fives to benefit from RCD. Whereas Maya Wiley, a more staunchly left-wing candidate, my theory is that people are less likely to rank her number two, three, four, because the people who would vote for Maya Wiley in the first place are more likely to have that sense of purity. So then we get to Eric Adams, who's been in politics a long time. He's a former police officer who considers himself to be a reformer, current Brooklyn Borough president. He's what you'd consider a machine politician. And what a lot of people criticize him on Twitter for is they dug up a video of him saying, hey, parents, here's how you can go through your child's room to find a crack pipe, some other drugs. This indicates they do that. And sure, was it a weird video? Yes, he's kind of a quirky guy. But in sort of a touch grass moment, no one on Twitter asked, does this actually connect with voters? And sure enough, after election night, when the non-RCV ballots were casted um, and calculated, or sorry, just shown in raw percentages, no RCV calculation, Eric Adams was shown to be around 30%, which was significantly higher than both Wiley and Garcia. So he did not declare victory. He declared most likely to win. He gave a whole speech, rightfully so, about how Twitter is not real life. What? And no. <laughs> Attack on us posters everywhere. <laughs> now, just quickly on Eric Adams. So as I understand, you can be a machine politician, but it's actually helpful to be a machine politician who lives in the city that you're supposed to be running for, right? Yes. So there are questions of residency <laughs> issues, which are worth noting are mostly are most likely not legal questions because it seems like the legal residency requirement is easy enough where he would qualify. Uh, a few weeks before the election, this was probably the last scandal, so to speak, a report came out that Eric Adams has been residing in between Brooklyn Borough Hall and Fort Worth, Fort Worth, New Jersey, one of the cities in New Jersey, oh. and he's been commuting. So in order to prove he lived in New York, he allowed journalists to enter his home, and this spawned a so-called fridge gate. When journalists went through his fridge, taking pictures. Now, Eric Adams is a vegan. And in Fridgegate, they found salmon in his fridge. They also went to the bed, took pictures of the bed, and noticed shoes that belonged to his son. So the theory being that Eric Adams' son was the only one living there. Now, of course, this does not prove decisively one way or another. They found mail overflowing. Who knows? At the end of the day, it's not a legal question. It's more of, do you want someone who Eric Adams was one of the people leading the charge saying Andrew Yang as an outsider, he's not a city person. Is it hypocritical? Maybe, Maybe. he is literally an outsider. Yeah. <laughs> now, also, lives uh, now, also, actually touching on Andrew Yang as well. Uh, what actually is his favorite a subway station in New York City? So this is actually another touch grass moment. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Yang said his favorite subway station was Times Square. Now, all the people on New York Twitter said, oh my God, this proves he's not a New Yorker because he said Times Square is his favorite station. And yes, most New Yorkers hate that station. So why would he say that? Because it's the station closest to where he lives. Also, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> 
I have my criticisms of Andrew Yang, but why is this relevant? Oh, because you know he was he had a quirky campaign for He did. And have we covered it? We did not talk about him yeah. yet. So Andrew Yang came in there with the highest name recognition. And early polls showed him well ahead. I predicted he would collapse early on. It was only till like less than a month before that Andrew Yang's poll numbers collapsed and he conceded election night because there was clearly no path to victory. I mean, his whole campaign was filled with, I don't know enough about the city. There was one tweet he put out, which did not get as much buzz as the others because it wasn't flashy. He was speaking on New York City has cooling centers where during hot days people can go. And he mentioned a blatantly factual error regarding the cooling center. And of course, Stringer's campaign responded, this is proof that Andrew Yang is not qualified because he doesn't know how these cooling centers work. And this was the kind of thing that you should know if you're running. He regularly talked about programs that already exist in the city and pretended they were new ideas. <laughs> so yes, and there was also this one very, very bad slip up from his campaign. Now, in general, most campaigns, they usually have a consulting firm with them. In this case, with Andrew Yang, it was Tusk, Tusk Ventures, and uh, Bradley Tusk, in an unguarded moment, said to a journalist, we support Andrew Yang because he's a, quote, empty vessel, unquote. Oh, okay. And that's probably one of the worst things you can say about your candidate, because why should I trust them? Perfect. What a what an amazing cast of characters. Is there anyone else who deserves special recognition from this? I want to give a shout out to Paperboy Prince. Paperboy Prince. Some, can you can you elaborate some, on that one, woo! please? <laughs> yeah, Paperboy Prince is, I believe, the most prominent non-binary individual to run for, you know, big city office in New York. And kudos to that. So a lot of people see Paperboy Prince as a fully meme candidate. However, they had some legitimate ideas, whether or not you agree with them. They seemed to be truly passionate about what they believed in. Yes, they believed in UBI. They believed in housing for all. You know, the standard uh, left-wing stuff. They also uh, wanted love centers on every block. And don't worry, this is something we can talk about on a PG podcast. <laughs> the love centers would include Basically, they're just community centers. You know, people can come together because the internet is too much. Paperboy is known for carrying a Game Boy Color. Where is the Game Boy SP? Uh, so apparently it is, anywhere. just looking at this picture, it's a Game Boy Advance SP. Or, a, okay. or Game Boy Color. Classic. He has two. But from the uh, picture that I have, he has a Pokemon Yellow cartridge in it. Yeah, so their campaign manager was a 14-year-old who believed that homework was unconstitutional, which is interesting. God, I would love that kid to be president. Yeah, so Paperboy seemed to really have the passion and heart, and they would do smokeouts in protest of certain events. They do uh, big concerts outside every uh, mayoral debate. What's a... Uh... Pump the brakes. What's a smokeout? Oh, like, uh, hey, we're going in front of Gracie Mansion, which is the mayoral residence, and we're going to smoke weed. Wow. Okay. My supporters, please come. Because marijuana is now legal. And you can technically smoke anywhere on the street, except within certain restrictions. Wow, they're, a, smoke they're an icon of New York City. Yes, yes. 
the new so age. i actually ran into a few people who are like paperboy is my number one Catherine garcia is my number two and i asked one of these people that seems like a very ideological big ideological difference why because paperboy talks about spreading love and we need more of that i said okay i can't argue with that that's good they have yeah. a good strong message and they're our age so Absolutely. if so if you, if you think that you are too young for politics just let you know paperboy love prince they're 28 29 years old so it is never too mm-hmm. early to go out and be the change you want Actually, to be in new york city speaking of young a 23 year old is the presumptive winner of a city council race oh. as of last night yeah no kidding so i have to look more into them but hey anyone can uh, do it wonderful cast of characters across a diverse spectrum has all the quirks and all the quibbles that everyone outside of New York City attributes to New York City can be contained within mm-hmm. one primary race. Oh, I forgot Sean Obama. <laughs> oh, well, it's okay. I think the voters of New York forgot about him too. <laughs> and his dad's $8 million. Oh, oh. So, uh, Morgan, do you have any final questions for Ben? <laughs> Uh, when are we going to be free of the New York primary? <laughs> Damn, it. Damn it. It will never end. They will relitigate the primary until the end of time. We just declare, since okay. Jeb is no longer, his 2016 presidential campaign is over, can we just declare that he won the mayor the mayoral primary and just get this over with? I mean, he won our hearts. There you so go. Yes. All right, Ben, this has been such a delight. We appreciate you coming Yeah, thank on. you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for telling us all about New York and Morgan. I am, I'm baffled. That was a lot. I just want to, just want to be free of the New York City. I I still can't believe the Board of Elections mixed up. Got the high score on Slither. They got the high score on Slither. And then also at the same time, mixed up fake ballots with real ballots. Oh, this is something that people joked about, and it actually happened. I'm. Uh... It is incredible, though, that the Board of Elections Twitter account will just respond to like anybody that may or may not even live in the city. It's oh gosh, it's. Should they be? Should they be doing something else? Like putting results out well no, no. even that putting accurate results out is too much is too hard too too much too True. much of a task so there's a there's a good week for everybody unpredicted it is sure. i sell your shares now or buy your shares now doesn't matter just do it today buy, buy and, and sell. sell there you go break even then that way you mm-hmm. can't lose you'll just break even you Use promo code. Let's say, see it rejected at your checkout. <laughs> oh gosh, what's next on our list? The, the New York City just took. June was hectic, but that New York City mayoral yes. primary just took the cake. It had everything. It did. We're going to drop kick ourselves all the way over to California, specifically San Francisco where a, a true hero of uh, people wanting to do what they want with their houses in the way they please won a fantastic victory 
against the city of San Francisco. Uh, it's right. It's right in that area. So this is from an NBC headline. Oh, uh, yeah. You thought San Francisco. It's close to San Francisco, but it, it's in the Bay Area. But it, it, they still have to deal with it. They still have to deal with the Bay Area NIMBYs. It's okay if we cluster them all together. I have the fundamental misunderstanding that San Francisco is a larger area than it is instead of the whole east, uh, sorry, the whole like coast of California being really more like the whole <laughs> Roman Empire. It is, I, you know, and I had that for the longest time too, that people were telling me that, you know, San Francisco is actually much smaller than you think it is. I'm like, no, it's not. And then I look at the Bay Area map and I'm like, oh my gosh, this place is just Mm -hmm. every single town is like a five minute drive through and if you have no traffic presumably but i was just it man so the title of this nbc article which is great is quote flintstone house owner wins a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar settlement from town of hillsborough <laughs> retired media mogul claimed discrimination when cities sued to stop her from <laughs> adding additional dinosaur sculptures and cartoonish displays to her yard God bless America. This is from updated on June 29th of this year. It was. I, I didn't realize that she, she, they, or she, or here, they won a, a, a substantial amount. Yeah, of money it was that. a lot. So uh, this article has everything. So a four year, four year community dispute ends this spring. <laughs> when the town of Hillsborough quietly agreed to pay an $125,000 cash settlement to the owner of the Flintstone house uh, over the homeowner's yard display. And if you look at the pictures of the Flintstone house, it looks like the house out of the Flintstones. So they're not, th mm -hmm. this isn't just something that people made up, like the media tagged this house as, oh, it's the Flintstone house. No, this house looks like it's from the Flintstones. It's, it's incredible. So the house was designed back in 1976 as one of several experimental domed buildings using a couple of new materials. And it was constructed by spraying shot creek onto steel rebar. I, these are these are construction terms I don't know yeah. about, Morgan. Concrete, uh, well, I, I would hope you I know, do know what rebar, rebar is. Uh, okay, shot creek is regular concrete that of a specific mixture in terms of how pliable it is and whatnot that you basically hook up a giant air compressor and then just pneumatically shoot it at a surface. <laughs> it's That's very cool. cool. So it's approximately 2,700 no. <laughs> square feet. And it was originally off white in color when it was built in 76. Uh, but by the eighties, it'd fallen in disrepair. Someone else, a Bay Area architect took it over, did a remodel in the first decade of the two thousands where he painted it, the, the color, uh, color orange. And then one of the domes was colored purple a little bit later. And then in 2017, the new owner of this house, which, God, I got to love this woman, Florence Fang. Florence, oh. you are you're a national treasure. Uh, she then decided to install large oxidized steel sculptures of dinosaurs, a woolly mammoth, a giraffe, and Fred Flintstone in her yard. And that's, but if, if you're, if you have the, the carefully examining eye, you'll see that there are UFOs as well. Yes, absolutely. Because, because there were UFO visits multiple times in the Flintstones universe. So she just wanted to be consistently accurate with the character and the drama of the Flintstones. 
Precisely. So the town called the Towering Stone Age Sculptures, which can be seen from Interstate 280, quote, a highly visible eyesore ensued Florence, alleging she violated local codes, made other landscaping changes that made her a public nuisance. Uh, they said that Fang needed permits before she installed her sculptures and they sought a stop work order. And so she filed a countersuit alleging racial discrimination, <laughs> saying other property owners likely didn't per- get permits for their own landscapes or sculptures and were not hit with citations and lawsuits because they were not Chinese. <laughs> wow. And so their public nuisance lawsuit turned into a civil rights lawsuit, <laughs> which if you, which oh, no city God. council, no city, and this is after I've done some work with cities fighting off these discrimination lawsuits. No city mm-hmm. wants to get that in front of a, a federal court. You do not want to go in front of a jury saying, hey, this city discriminated against me because I'm of a racial minority. That is an instant like head for the hills type situation. So they... Uh, approved the settlement in April, but it's now official as of June that Florence won her lawsuit and that she gets to keep all the monuments in her yard. So God bless you, Florence. You are amazing. Doing the Lord's yabba dabba. Uh, Well, you know, you say that. So the features of the colorful Mm multi-million dollar property, it's worth multi-million, so it can't be a public nuisance. Well, it's the, the Bay Area. I, I know, worth. but it can't be a public nuisance still. Because how can you be a public nuisance if you have a sign that reads Yabba Dabba Doo in your front yard? Some people just hate joy. Some Carl. people do just hate joy. So in California, California, you really impressed us this month. Florence, you're welcome on this podcast anytime to talk about your the hurdles that you faced with your Flintstone empire. And anyone else can reach out to us at goodfaithpod at gmail.com. <laughs> there you go. Oh, uh, what else happened this month, Morgan? Oh, Charlie Kirk. Charlie, Charlie, tiny face Charlie. Little boy Charlie. Um he when, when your living is right wing grift in this day and age, you have to really keep the output up if you're if you if it's, it's kind of like doing stand-up comedy if you you know bomb on something just work through it just keep hitting them with a whole bunch of stuff something's gonna stick so earlier in the month he said that ordering weed is slavery that is a, a verbatim quote Oof. Uh, he did a ad which i'm not even sure where it was put on uh, probably oann <laughs> For a product called Relief Factor, which is a drug-free uh, pain su- painkilling uh, pain supplement, um, because he apparently couldn't sit in a chair for more than ten minutes. But now look at him—he's throwing a football around with someone that's not his dad. His face is still so tiny, though. It is. You know what's again really incredible about Charlie Kirk, and we'll also talk about Nick Fuentes here Oof. in a minute. They're very young. Charlie is 27. Charlie's 27? No, he's 20. He's 1993, baby. Uh... Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Nick Fuentes is 22. Nick Fuentes needs to be sent to his room. Uh, well, you know, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, 
yes, partly for being, uh, you know, filming himself at the Capitol on January 6th, partly also for uh, calling the age of consent a feminist social construct that is a means of, quote, artificially increasing the marketplace value of older women, end quote. Oof. Um, again, he's 22. Do we really believe that you but, have you know, to be 18 w- years old in order to consent to sex, otherwise it's rape? Yes, that's the definition of statutory rape, is that if you're not of legal age, if you can't consent. <laughs> like, I... Nick, I know, Nick, I get Nick it. Fuentes, but, after, but really, after this whole like easy bake oven, you know, it's just like, you know, the Holocaust was just using, you know, like oven, it was just ovens with cookies and things like that. After that whole scenario, no. I thought that I'd reached peak Nick Fuentes there with like, it really can't get any worse, but it crosses over, this one crosses over the threshold because it talks about the age of consent. And I'm like, no, there's, there are, we have laws that I just, <laughs> if he, if he had a brain, half a brain on him, he would come to North Carolina where he would immediately take over the head of the, the state GOP. Oh. Like I, because sure, they've got a bill with a couple co-signers that's uh, you know, going to raise the age you can marry a child from 14 to 16. Like, well, here we go. Um, no, he's, he'd fit in right, in right at home here with all the good old boys. And, and these are things that uh, it's not like there's a gotcha, right? These like people like uh, Nick Fuentes and Charlie Kirk and Tucker Carlson, who I'm gonna, who's not in young grifter territory, but he's young at heart. It's all that frozen fish. Uh, they just record it and put it out there for everybody to see, and they don't care. There's not a lot of shame there. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't. So, so there are. So again, Nick Fuentes really shows that he doesn't know how the law works because there. So many of you are not, maybe you're not aware of this, but he 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 goes on and rants about how oh well you know in Illinois it's 17 and in Florida it's this you know in Florida it's this number and in other states another number. It's like it's just Mm -hmm. a number, and it's like that's not the the whole point is not necessarily. He's like, oh, well, I can't date someone who's a year younger than me then if they're, if I'm 18 and I can't date this other person because the age of consent is 18. I was like, well, we have exceptions, which are widely well-known, which is called Romeo and Juliet exemptions, where if you are both teens underage, you can both consent, although the law around that is a little, a little bit in a gray area. It's to prevent like 50-year-olds sleeping with teenagers or like children. That's why we have laws against statutory rape i just i it's if he had half a brain he would be in a mental asylum well he would be calling glenn greenwald for clarification on each state he would you know what if you don't Mm -hmm. as a general rule we're just going to say this for the good faith podcast don't show interest in age of consent laws unless you're a lawyer who has to prosecute consent cases just it it's a bad look. Kind of looks like you have something to hide, I, but that's just me. I'm. I don't. Uh, man, I really thought the ovens one was going to kill me, but this one was even worse. No, and he's he's going to keep going, man. He was there with Baked Alaska on January sixth, and 
Uh, no consequences yet from that. For no, in fact, according to uh, AG, we should be electing the January sixth uh, rioters to Congress. Uh, American greatness never change. I would I would highly recommend if uh, you can stomach it the New York Times forensic reconstruction of that day. The video essay it's about 40, 45 minutes long. It's very good and it's very upsetting. Just to ha- just to see all the how how planned this traitorous event. So was. something that you didn't mention from the Charlie Kirk uh, part that I did want to touch on was oh well, the, well okay but just from that one video clip is that he actually uses the very popular meme we live in a society except he slightly changes it from here's why because we live in an abundant society. Okay. Well, and he also popped off on, you know, tw- Twitter's like talking in front of a journalist, you know. Having you know, weed delivered to your ago. front door is apparently not liberty, it's slavery. I, it, it is. Hey, it is. so for um, our listeners out there, write us in. Is a weed delivered to your front door liberty or slavery? We'd like to know your, like to know the answer to that question. Well, if you have to pay someone else to do it, then yes. <laughs> but, but that's just horseshoe theory. Oh. Uh, but, but Amir, eight days ago, uh, after the condo building in Surfside, Miami collapsed, uh, I have spoken to several architects who believe that the building collapse in Surfside was not an act of nature. Many are saying this was domestic terrorism, quotes around domestic This was Charlie Kirk, right? No, of course it was Charlie Kirk popping off, talking to people. No one talks to Charlie Kirk, come on, first off. Uh, and are many are saying many many what's many people many many birds, uh, many faces of Charlie Kirk and and multitude <laughs> of mirrors like an infinity mirror. Oh man, just psychs himself up in the morning like a like scrying old timey magic scrying. So, in, in for those of you who are interested to know, uh, instead of making mm. light of this tragedy, uh, just that the death the death toll at this point has risen to 24 in the Surfside uh, condo collapse and 124 are unaccounted for. And instead of looking at the reasonable assumption that this building collapsed due to internal fault, that you know the building wasn't, didn't have a proper foundation or anything like that, Charlie Kirk is saying that it was domestic terrorism. And who could it have been? Nobody knows. Maybe it's the legal weed people. Oh, I'm, I'm sure his implication is that it's some sort of uh, leftist terrorist group, which sort of died off in the 70s and 80s. Antifa's bombing condos, I guess, even though there was no evidence of that. I don't know. They hid the bomb. They hid the bombing by. That's uh, terrible. It's you. 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 You put it out there. You. You got to finish the sentence now. <laughs> I can't. No, we're not doing 9-11 conspiracy theories, despite the fact that uh, my background image for this call is a pin that Hooters <laughs> put out called it has the Twin Towers with a 9 in front of it. 9-11 Hooters remembers. Lit Freedom Wing. I've looked. There are none for sale on the internet currently. Um, I will not give my email information to the website that tells me how much the last one was sold for, but um, 
This is our diversity. This is the European Diversity Month stamp of June. Like 9-11. This is nine. This is peak 9-11 merch. It goes from bad but workable, like the resurgence in Toby Keith's career, (laughs) to uh, Hooters putting out a 9-11 pen. And it just resurfaced this month. It it was so there. There was a, a a very lovely thread on Twitter about what is the best right wing art, right? What is the what are what are more conservative groups like? What's their like best kind of art? And uh, this popped up, and you know, back in the early two thousands, everyone sort of lost their minds for about a year. Um, that's how we got. Stuck in Afghanistan, which we're pulling out now, finally, um, but poorly. Uh, it's going about as well as Ted Cruz. Fishing. Oh, we're not. That was in the intro. I, I'm not going to spend any time on Ted Cruz's terrible fishing position. Just, who who puts <laughs> the reel on top? You're supposed to. It's on the side. It just like. Uh huh. No, he just ang- he angled it right. He's holding it wrong. Hey. That's not how you go fishing. I don't even know if he caught. Oh, he didn't anything. say if he caught anything. He could have. He could have caught another conspiracy theory. Like this, like this month, he he really caught the bug that that Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter 2.0. We already talked about this uh, last month, but now Ted Cruz is really convinced that Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter 2.0. Joe Biden loves peanuts. Is from Atlanta. I don't. That he's just, oh he's destroying the country yeah we're back something to the about you know, something okay. something about you. how the economy is doing terrible even though we just added over a hundred thousand jobs in the latest jobs report and I don't know I you see you see eight hundred twenty five thousand added jobs I see uh, 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 literally anything. yeah I see communism I guess or something <laughs> terrible we're so part of part of again, oh, you know, let's let's do another little quick inflation story, mm-hmm. Carl. The Federalist did an article, a real hard hitting expose, as they're known to do, about the cost of the the food at Chipotle going up in price. So here's the title mm-hmm. of this article in the Federalist. <clears throat> it's in the business category. My Chipotle bowl just got more expensive, comma. And it's the federal government's fault. Children's book. The children's book. <laughs> it is a children's book. Life is breezier on unemployment than behind Chipotle counter. So the franchise is trying to lure workers back, but it's making my lunch more spendy. I didn't know more. I didn't know more. Really, this is a children's it, this book. This is a children's book because I wasn't aware the term more spendy was actually a thing. So, okay making my lunch more spendy and exposing lies about who really eats the cost of rising wages. <laughs> she, uh, this journalist, I guess journalist, you could call them because they posted an article. Chicken bowl, brown rice, mm-hmm. black and pinto beans, pico, hot salsa, lettuce, cheese, sour cream. That's all I want. And I want it for 760 plus tax. All right. Thanks to the ill-named American Rescue Plan and remarkably short-sighted employment decisions, the federal government has jacked up the price of my Chipotle order. You're telling me that someone at the Federalist wants to pay tax? Apparently. 
Sure, the restaurant is the one raising its prices by about 4%. But the federal government is the cause. So at 760 plus tax, 760 plus tax, I'm just going to put 760 in here just just because the math, you know, it works. Mm -hmm. So the base price of this Chipotle bowl that this journalist ordered went from 760 to 790. So it was, that's a 30 cent increase, maybe. That's dude, that's the difference between uh you know paying your rent and your uh de- your checking account bouncing. <laughs> you know, you start hitting some late fees on that 30 cent so increase. This is it, this isn't even the best part because the article goes on to say that you know really the big problem that Chipotle is increasing its prices because it can't get workers back because they're too easy living on unemployment even though there have been articles like the MBER and a bunch of other um, economic publications that have come out and said there's no link between that but don't worry uh, essentially that workers like living on unemployment benefits so they don't want to go back to work therefore prices are going up so oh where's this part where is this part it's I mean, it's just more incredible is that, you know, average state unemployment check of $330 per week, the $300 federal subsidy, mid-Americans could sit at home for $630 per week or more than $32,000 per year, which, I mean, actually, it says about double the national minimum wage, which we're living in the middle of a pandemic, so I'm not, I'm not surprised. No, but you know that's 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 an excuse, man. You want people to be out there getting exposed to all the new variants that can still get just you know decently sick and I might kill you if you haven't taken the vaccine. <laughs> you know, those are excuses, man. You got to come back and work for seven twenty-five, and by golly, well, Chipotle announced that. Well, part of the grip of this article is that chipotle announced that it was going to increase its minimum wage in its restaurants to 15 dollars an hour and it's i don't i'm not sure if it was the ceo but it was someone in the exec in the executive in chipotle released a statement or a powerpoint slide which is something to the effect of this will raise prices by four percent across the board devastating. devastating loss to our national character chipotle you know your chipotle bowl going up by 30 cents to pay people to go back to work just you know uh in any other context uh so (laughs) this is my best part of the article is this is these two sentences so did you catch that restaurants have had to bribe current and prospective workers with fatter paychecks to lure them off their backsides and back to work we are living in an age the federalist is screaming that this is the newest newest crime that is sweeping america is wage bribery <laughs> why have people work for anything at all <laughs> that's that's sort of the next logical step is to i mean i'm not casting aspersions except i kind of am that the federalist sort of wants people to work for nothing <laughs> well you see is that they want everyone to go back to work they just want everyone to go back at shitty wages <laughs> They don't think that there's a world where, hey, everyone going back to work is a good thing and rising wages is also a good thing too. Maybe there's also the possibility that these people who used to work in the restaurant industry decided, oh, 
working in the restaurant industry is crap. I want to go work somewhere else that pays me higher wages and better benefits. Because another, you know, another one of the things that has happened is, and I believe this was on not just social media, but it was in news articles too, about where places like McDonald's was like, hey, if you show up for an interview, we'll cut you a check or we'll, we'll give you money for just showing up. So these companies are trying mm-hmm. to draw in workers. And of course, the best way to do that is to, if you work in industry like this, is to raise your wages that you're offering. And there was a... The whole, uh, the whole showing up to an interview to get money is how, uh, how I paid for this new <laughs> microphone. Uh, so yeah, your, your audio is coming in much differently now than it used to. So on Friday nights, we've been doing a Zoom happy hour with the neoliberal project. And uh, I had my microphone around backwards. You had your microphone. So now it sounds a lot better. Backwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it turns out some of these here, nicer mics uh, have an actual front to them where if you want to be heard, uh-huh, no, it's, we're not professionals. We are not professionals on this, on this podcast. <laughs> Carl, what's the conspiracy of the month? <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got to talk about the Britney Spears conservatorship. We got to talk about the Britney Spears conservatorship. You, this is what the public has been demanding, nay, has been asking for, that we do an overview of the life of Britney Spears and the whole process of conservatorships in the United States. So... Normally, Morgan, I don't consider myself huge into pop culture, but then all of a sudden mm-hmm. in June, I was reading all these articles like, wait, there's a, this whole thing about Britney Spears and hashtag free Britney. And I, I was like, wait a minute. I haven't, I don't know a whole lot about Britney Spears since my youth, my, my I've forgotten okay. youth. And I said, you were yeah, a big when, I, fan. when I was a big fan, you know, when I could barely understand any of her songs because I was so young at the time. Uh, and I was like, OK, well, I'm going to go look up Britney Spears. And I forgot that, you know, Britney Spears is still around. She's still producing music. She's still you know, entertaining. But I had totally forgotten about this. And so then I started looking. OK, so I looked into the life of Britney Spears and I was like, OK, she's in a conservatorship. Then I looked up conservatorships and I went holy cow this system is insane and then i read some of the articles about what's been going on in the news in june of 2021 and i went holy moly this is this is a thing we got to talk about this we got to address this so this is my this is the conspiracy of the month my rant which i've titled it in my notes grift me baby one more time So, Morgan, Morgan on, you're probably wondering, okay, so who's Britney Spears? So, I'm glad you asked. Oh. So, Britney Spears was okay. born on December 2nd, 1981. So, she's 39 years old in Macomb, Mississippi. So, you know how I dinged Mississippi last month. Mississippi, you actually did provide us a bit of cultural heritage here. You provided us with Britney Spears. Uh They've done more than that, but let's just fresh <laughs> that out. Yeah, of well, you, Mississippi, you gave us Britney Spears. You you have a pass for me this month. Okay, the second child of James Jamie Parnell Spears and Leanne Irene Bridges. Uh, she was raised a Southern Baptist, though later she, as an adult, she got into. Uh, oh my goodness, 
Ben's going to hate me for this. Uh, Kabbalist teachings, which apparently Madonna was into. Uh, at an early age, she was recognized as having a whole lot, bunch of talent. She did some auditions for off-Broadway musicals in the early 90s, for example, when she was really young. And then between 1992 and 1996, so between the ages of 11 and 15, she's protected by age of consent laws, Nick Quintez. I'm just letting you know that. She was cast in the Mickey Mouse Club alongside Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, and Carrie Russell. What was I doing between the ages of 11 and 15? Clearly, I was a scrub. You weren't you weren't picked up into the uh, Mickey Mouse Corporation's uh, child star farm. And then she went back to I, I wrote this note. And then she went back to high school. <laughs> you, education is very important. Oh, and I, I believe it's pronounced uh, Kabbalist, Kabbalist. Thank you. Yes, and uh, David Bowie. Oh, David Bowie was into it. it. Well. Okay. David Bowie is a huge occultist, but let's <laughs> let's go with Brittany this month. So in 1997. She impressed executives at Jive Records with her rendition of Whitney Houston's I Have Nothing. And she was signed on at Jive Records to produce her first album. Originally, she wanted, she said uh, later on that she wanted to originally be like Sheryl Crow, but younger and more adult contemporary at the time. But she decided more to go into a pop, uh, the pop wing. So, of course, this was a fateful decision because Britney Spears went on to be one of the best-selling music artists of all time and was part of the teen pop mania of the late 1990s and early 2000s. She was actually known as the Princess of Pop, which I forgot about. Hmm. But she was a huge part of the late of the like millennia of the dawn of the millennium era. Because of course, her first two studio albums were Baby One More Time, released in January 12th, 1999, and of course, Oops, I Did It Again in May 2000, which both were certified diamond upon release. So these things sold millions of, rec- millions of records within the first couple of months. In fact, the Oops title track was named the greatest debut single of all time by Rolling Stone in, two- in 2020. So in the middle of the pandemic, they decided, oh yeah, by the way, Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again? Most phenomenal. And Morgan, for 15 years, that Oops was the fastest selling album by a female artist until Adele's 25 in 2015. She's so wow. it's still number two on that list. So all of Taylor Swift's albums that came out never topped Britney Spears's Oops. Mm-hmm. Not even Lady Gaga's Born This Way. And of course, I'm a Lady Gaga stan, but Lady Gaga's Born This Way didn't cut, cut it. Britney Spears is still up there. And so she's earned a Grammy. 15, she's broken 15 Guinness World Records, six MTV Music Awards, seven Billboard Music Awards. She holds the, you just mentioned this, Morgan, the inaugural Radio Disney Award. <laughs> and she has her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So Britney Spears was going at it. But of course, her career has been interesting because people started suspecting that she was going to be a cultural icon when in 2000, at the MTV uh video music awards halfway through she revealed herself in a sequent flesh-colored bodysuit so hmm i have my notes say hmm she may be a provocative performer (laughs) spears performance then in 2001 also at mtv featured a caged tiger and a large albino python (laughs) draped over her shoulders i forgot about that (laughs) and then i have my quote "Peta" in their quest for no one to have fun complained uh, let's see. She also performed at the Super Bowl halftime show with Aerosmith and NSYNC because at the time Spears was dating Justin Timberlake. Uh, 
you can start to tell where things go off the rails where early in their relationship, Britney Spears announced that she would wait to have sex before marriage, but then it, it, it leaked that she broke that pledge and cheated on Justin Timberlake and the two broke up in 2002. But they, they went to that event with uh, four they different did. outfits. So in 2002, Justin's song Cry Me a River is largely seen as a dig on Britney because there's a Britney lookalike in it. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Again, I don't normally dig this deep into pop culture, but it got on a tear. So 2003, she opened the MTV Music Video Awards with Christina Aguilera and uh, performing Like a Virgin. We're halfway through. She kissed Madonna. This was 2003. So it was a huge deal back in the day. You don't remember that? Where was where was I? This was right before this was it this was during the whole quest to have uh look you know to have a constitutional amendment. Look, I didn't watch a lot of during that whole phase and constitutional amendment to have gay uh to restrict gay marriage. If you remember that, that that's 2003, 2004. I knew that was a Bush era thing, but I didn't watch so, a lot of TV. I didn't watch a whole lot of TV either because I was nine in 2003. <laughs> so 2004, Spears became engaged to a dancer, Kevin, who she met three months earlier. Oh boy, Brittany, no. The romance was subject of intense media attention since Kevin had recently broken up with an actress who was still pregnant with her second child. Oh, Brittany. Oh stage of the relationship was chronicled in Spears' first reality show, Britney and Kevin, Chaotic. <laughs> Wasn't this the, the one that was infamously like 54 I think so, old? yeah. Like uh, so she gave birth yeah. to her first son, Sean, in 2004, and her second son, Jaden, in 2006. Uh, the same year she filed for divorce from Kevin. Uh, it was also the same year that she posted for a nude cover. Oh, Britney. Now we get to 2007 where she was in a drug rehab facility in Antigua for less than one full day. And then the following night, as Morgan, as you've mentioned previously to me, she famously shaved her head with electric clippers at a hair salon in Tarzana in Los Angeles. Clumps of Britney's shaved hair ended up on sale for eBay at over $5,000. So clearly hey carl i'll fight if i mail you an electric razor can we take some of your hair and try and pass britney it off? spears's hair i don't think i'd i don't think i would qualify i don't think i have the same hair hair type as britney spears so she declined so i wrote she declined after that she lost custody of her sons she's on and off admitted to ucla's medical center in 2008 and put into an involuntary psych hold under California state law, which is actually, I've heard that the involuntary psych holds are, they're, they're, again, they're supposed to prevent you from doing something to yourself and that they're, they're Certainly. modestly good idea. Uh, and then just after that, the court put her under a conservatorship led by her father, Jamie Spears, an attorney, giving them control of her assets. And the, uh, and so after 2000, this was 2000, 2009. Well, 2008 was, was when they were filed for the conservatorship. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so, but after that, she still performed. She released albums like Circus, Femme Fatale. She was on X Factor. Uh, she released an album, Britney Jean. I'd forgotten about these, but again, I'm not normally into pop culture, but I just got sucked into this vortex of pop culture. So 2008, Britney Spears is put in a conservatorship. Okay. Shuffle papers. Let's talk about conservatorships. So conservatorships in 
so her conservatorship was filed in California. So I thought the best place to start would be to start with the California courts. So a conservatorship, according to the California courts, is where a judge appoints an individual, a group of individuals or an organization to care for another adult who is deemed unfit to care for themselves or to manage their own finances. And for Brittany's case, Brittany is considered the conservatee and her father, Jamie, was one of the conservators. Sometimes uh, you may hear this term conservatorship and guardianship overlap. Um, the laws on them is roughly the same, but it's it's to put people in place, uh, put other people in place for those who are unable to make their own decisions or who are mentally inc incapacitated. So it's it's almost like think of like a supercharged power of attorney type situation. Okay. Um, so what happens is that usually a petition is filed with a court to appoint a legally, a legally designated guardian who has the power to make decisions in all cases. Now, this term all cases has been kind of loosened by a few states in the past couple of years because, oh God, this system is crazy. So some of the common routes for guardianships or conservatorships include if there's a family conflict over disposal of a living person's estate, the court may just step in and say, hey, I'm going to appoint a guardian. Fun fact about the appointed guardians, though, is that they don't necessarily have to be family members, is that sometimes judges are just allowed to appoint advocates from lists of other lawyers or even friends that they know. So there's no uniform system nationwide about the control over who gets to be appointed a guardian or not. Now, some states have made efforts to make the laws more clear and more direct about how you go about appointing a guardian, but it's still up in the air and there's still some conflict. So Brittany's father was appointed the conservator and an attorney was also appointed as conservator as well. So that's, so one route is that there's a family dispute. Another route is you can actually be reported by an employee of the state. So for example, social services can report to the state that, oh, this person is not taking care of themselves and they can that can result in a petition for guardianship. So you may actually be unaware of that too. Uh, sadly enough, the third route doesn't, it's not relevant to Brittany, but it's relevant for this case. It was for-profit companies and law firms promising to take care of people's finances and healthcare in their late life is that you can have a, a company or a law firm come around and say, hey, we'll take care of you. You just sign these legal documents and essentially you're signing over all your legal rights to them. So a conservatorship, when you file a petition for conservatorship, it can have multiple components. So in Britney Spears' case, her conservatorship is basically comprised of two components. One is for her estate, which is, of course, all the money that she earns as, an, as a pop star or as an actress and all that other stuff. And the other is for her as a person in the person of Britney Spears. And when once you... When, the, the free person yeah, upon the land. the person upon the land. Once you are in this position, it gets very hard to represent yourself legally. Say if you're Britney Spears. So what are some of the legal pitfalls of this? So I said that there may be cases where you may not even be aware of a conservatorship or guardianship. So for example, in California, a conservatees, so if you're getting placed in a conservatorship, have to be given five days notice before conservatorship takes effect. But this can be bypassed if a judge decides that you could suffer imminent or substantial harm. How is that defined? Why? By the people who are filing for the petition, of course. So you could be placed in a conservatorship without your knowledge. <laughs> as long as they can convince yes, a judge. as long as they can convince a judge. Wow. 
And apparently, this was just from reading the court documents, on the petition to establish this guardianship or conservatorship, someone who filed it, who filed this conservatorship, Britney Spears, checked a box indicating that she had dementia. Yeah. What? Yeah. This is crazy. Okay. So whoever, so whoever, like her dad and this other person just were like, yeah, sure. She's got dementia. Now, of course, their argument at the time was that Brittany was going off a rail, that she was going to lose custody over her sons, which eventually did happen, uh, that, that all this other stuff. So their, their argument was we had to get her into a conservatorship. But at the same time, uh, Spears was not super keen on that. And so the judge in charge of that case actually said, ruled that Spears had no, no capacity to retain an attorney. Like once she was placed in the uh, in this conservatorship at one point in 2009 the judge said nah you you, you're not you don't have the the mental capacity to retain an attorney which is insane (laughs) it's totally insane uh so in researching this part about conservatorships and how messed up your life can be i read a couple of articles there's some great things from the bbc uh from the new yorker Uh, there's a there are a couple of uh, documentaries, documentary episodes. There's one called The Guardians. There's also a Dirty Money episode called Guardianship Inc., which is actually no longer on Netflix because one of the Guardians sued Netflix because they said that, oh, you misrepresented us when really the documentary is horrifying as to how this Guardian ruined this person's life. But anyway, so I said The New Yorker, for example. So for New Yorker ha- had an article with an example about this whole section about how Jamie Spears could essentially control every aspect of Britney Spears's life. Um, he, could, he could file restraining orders against friends and family on her behalf, even if she didn't want them. Uh, she conspired to make sure she had no media contact with the outside world. And in 2009, for example, he had this whole plot to deny her access to a cell phone. So she was basically a prisoner. She yeah. was forced by, again, since she was no longer, she was not in legal capacity charge of herself as a person, she was forced by her managers to go on tour and was threatened that she'd be sued if she refused. Her conservators could decide whether or not she worked. She could not enter into contracts for herself because she's legally not her own person. And Britney Spears needed permission from her conservators to leave her house or to spend any of her own money. Yeah. This is totally legal, by the way. That's and she's not the only person in the country that's under no. this sort of restriction, right? This is a this is a fairly not common but not unheard of. Um, right. This is not. Um, this is not unheard unheard of uh, in because this is a uh, this is not. Yeah, you're right. There's about. Okay, so according to the Department of Justice, from 2017, there are about 1.3 million active guardianship or conservatorships in the U.S., and that to- the assets under those are about 50 billion dollars. So this is not small. Ch- this is not small change. Holy Christ! It's it's a lot. Okay. So again, uh, Brit- Brittany was saying that at her rehab facility, for example, uh, she had to attend 10 hours of meetings a day, seven days a week for four months. And if she didn't cooperate, she wasn't allowed to see her kids or any of the boyfriends that she wanted. Um, and of course, 
defending the conservatorship, the lawyers who are assigned to her conservatorship can just spend her money. So in from October 2020 to February 2021, for example, uh, Jamie Spears's lawyers billed $900,000 to the estate to defend the conservatorship that Britney doesn't want. I know. This is crazy. So sadly, this this uh, this issue with Britney Spears and conservatorships is not limited to famous actors. More commonly, it is linked to elder abuse in the United States. That's where the crux of it comes down to, is that elderly adults are placed in special guardianships by the state and have their personal financial lives essentially taken away. They can be things like forced into elder care homes, separated from their families, the guard, the conservators and guardians have powers over their treatment, uh, what medications they have to take. Uh, they control all aspects of an elderly person's estate, such as their savings, their ha- any houses that they have, vehicles, down to their personal assets. And so this subject of elderly abuse, and so in 2011, a MetLife insurance study found that the total losses through financial abuse of the elderly was $2.9 billion every year. It's a serious problem. Um, it's a it's serious, a serious amount, amount of money. money yeah. uh, conservatorships uh, can protect people who are elderly uh, or who live with profound disabilities, but there's essentially there's a wide, the system is open to abuse because if you give that much power over someone else's person, they can, they can do whatever they want. And of course, Lord Acton's phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, uh, just rings true here. But there are a wide range of alternatives, such as conditional powers of attorney or formal shared control of finances that could be useful alternatives instead, or changing the laws around conservatorships. Uh, when, when a conservatorship is established, a court is regularly required to determine if the conservatorship is and remains necessary. So that's supposed to be one positive thing. In practice, most judges just grant continuances. The idea that Spears needs the conservatorship to function is kind of self-reinforcing because uh, in her case, like her case is pretty common. Many guardianships can prove inescapable because it's going to be either one or two arguments. Either she's doing well under this guardianship, therefore you should continue it or she's doing poorly under this guardianship, therefore she needs to continue under the guardianship, otherwise it'll be worse. So it's a huge, it's a terrible system to be caught up in and to try to escape from. And that's why it's so vulnerable to abuse. Now, let's get to June, 2021 and hashtag free Britney. So this all started in January, 2019, when a fan podcast, Britney's Graham, which I love. I think it was. I think it was based off of Britney's Instagram because she was posting on Instagram for the longest okay. time. And then in 2015, mm. people were commenting that, "Oh, Britney Spears' Instagram is suddenly more interesting. It's more lively. It seems like she's really coming out to her, coming out as a person." And it could have just been, you know, she was able to escape the horrors of the conservatorship and was trying to find a way out. But the fan podcast, Britney's Graham released an episode which actually contained a voicemail message allegedly from someone on Spears' legal team where they alleged that uh, Jamie Spears had been holding Britney Spears in a psych- at a private psychiatric facility against her will. 
and that her conservatorship was supposed to have actually ended. You know how it started in 2008? It was supposed to have ended in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? And it's 2021. So you can do the mental math right there. That's like a 13 years. Yeah. Really? And it was supposed to end after one. <laughs> and as I noted, this launched the modern hashtag free Britney movement, <laughs> which gained vocal support from fans, celebrities like Cher, Christina Aguilera, Mariah Carey, her old boyfriend, Justin Timberlake, Khloe Kardashian, as well as the ACLU. <laughs> I just feel like lumping those guys together. So a documentary about Britney's career and conservatorship ha- uh, called, quote, Framing Britney Spears premiered on FX on February 2021. And it is also on Hulu if you wanted to watch it, if you're interested. It's, it's a trip. So the big controversy is that this month in June, uh, on the 23rd, Spears decided that she was going to testify in open court. Originally, they had said that she wanted a clo- they wanted a closed session in front of the judge. Brittany Spears said that, no, I want to tell the whole world what's been happening to me. So she testified in open court about how her conservatorship has ruined her life. And she was saying, quote, the people who did this to me should not get away. Uh, addressing the judge, ma'am, my dad, and everyone involved in this conservatorship and my management who played a huge role in punishing me when I said no, ma'am, they should be in jail. And then for the next 20 minutes, Spears described how she had been isolated, medicated, financially exploited, and emotionally abused. And the most shocking allegation, at one point during the hearing, Spears said that the conservatorship had denied her reproductive rights. I was told right now in the conservatorship, I'm not able to get married or have a baby. I have an IUD inside of myself right now, so I can't get pregnant. I want to take the IUD out so I could start trying to have another baby. But my so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they don't want me to have any more children. As of the end of the month, the judge denied the request to remove Britney Spears' father as a co-conservator. That was what the motion hearing was about the 23rd, which come on. But the good news is there's another motion that was filed to terminate her conservatorship altogether. The judge has not yet ruled on that. And there are, peop- okay. and there are people still there. protesting outside of, in front of the courthouse, hashtag free Britney. And so at, in 2021, at age 39, Britney Spears, one of the world's most successful pop stars, with an estimated net worth of $59 million dollars, has remained legally under the control of her father, Jamie Spears, since 2008. And let me quote Brittany, quote, my loneliness is killing me. I'm a slave for you. I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. You want a piece of me. That's from Hit Me Baby one more time. I think so. Or is that from Oops, I Did It Again? Yeah. I think so. And that is the bananas absolutely bonkers conspiracy behind the Britney Spears conservatorship and conservatorships and guardianships in general in the United States. Now, does every state have a conservatorship? I know there's sort of like a legal guardian thing, I would assume in every state, because you see that in a lot of things all the time, but uh, this more extreme conservatorship is that something that every state it's has? Sort of a, it's sort of a in tandem relation, in relation to guardianship laws. So that there, so okay. wherever you find guardianship rules, you're going to find conservatorship. It's there's there's a wide overlap on that. Like the, for example, the Justice Department statistic that I cite 
quotes guardianship or conservatorship so it can go by different names and so every state has their own laws and guys if nothing else lobby your state and local leaders to change the banana system behind this because that's crazy yes it's affected britney spears but it's also affected millions of our elderly across the united states just uh, it's all it's sometimes it's a grift i mean some of these some of these documentaries to talk about guardianships just go into the absolute insanity about how elderly people are stripped of their assets and sent to nursing homes and just doped up on drugs and meanwhile they're quote-unquote guardians who are you know could be for-profit companies just take all their assets and run it's it's a grift so it's an, it's evil, an evil grift that. it's one thing selling drug-free supplement pain powder um <laughs> it's another to, to completely ruin another very much life. so i'll add it to the two list to-do list on top of getting rid of 14 year old child marriage Keeping it, you know, keeping oh. statutory rape laws. <laughs> we're not we're not overturning statutory rape, Nick Fuentes. Hopefully you have hopefully you haven't had that problem. Hopefully, hopefully he's, he's listening. listening. Take all the numbers you yes. can get. Uh, do- Carl, we had a pretty even though June was big on the Twitter, we had a very um, slim pickings on the mailbag front. But what we did get was very good. So if you're ready to tackle this, need some need some help letter, here we go. Yeah. You ready? All right. Today in Camel Cigarettes presents American History Class, I learned that after freeing the slaves, Abraham Lincoln enjoyed a smooth camel cigarette. But a friend who chose a different school is trying to tell me it was a refreshing Coca-Cola. What's the real truth? <laughs> now, now this sort of ties into another fun fact about Abraham Lincoln, where um, he's known as the great emancipator. And that was because during his career in high school and uh, beyond wrestling, uh, here and the name the great emancipator because he freed his opponents from a lifetime of free of pain i would imagine he would have a smooth camel cigarette along with a refreshing coca-cola uh signpost of american capitalism you have have to to. you know that's that's what made this country great i mean it uh, wasn't coca-cola though established in 1886. Uh, after uh, it's probably also with camel cigarettes were after Abraham Lincoln yes. died. Yes, which kind of makes it uh, anachronistic. I mean, but as Abraham Lincoln once famously said, "You cannot trust anything that anyone puts on mm-hmm. the internet." That's, yeah. that's true. There you go, and we're putting we this are. on the internet, so who knows? So you can't, you, you can't trust us. I mean, you can trust Carl. Carl, Carl knows what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Uh, so what's our what's our ruling on this one? Oh, on this one, I think it's both. I think it's. I think he had a nice camel cigarette and a Coca Cola, even though he didn't know exactly what. I take a nice were. long drag. He could have just it's had like, cocaine. It's, it's, 
it's kind of like um when you're watching the last season of Game of Thrones and you saw like a Starbucks cup oh yeah that made it into final shot or they are the very very final scene when they're all in that council thing we don't care if we're spoiling this for you. You've had enough time to see the ending of Game of Thrones, where they're all in that council scene. You've been enough, t- enough you've time. You've had enough time to be disappointed. Although I only ever saw the last season, <laughs> I didn't know I, my <laughs> my roommate at the time. God bless him, and God bless the uh, calamity that he introduced me to, because he was a genuine fan of Game of Thrones, and I had never seen it. He said, "Well, here, watch the final season with me." And I said, "Okay." Uh, we got to the final we got to the council scene and you could see the water bottles <laughs> hidden underneath the chairs. Mm-hmm. I will say, even though you think that yes, yeah, sure, Abraham Lincoln died in 1845 and um right? It, yeah, right. 1845 is um, a little early. I'm gonna it's gonna be 18 it's gonna be 1865. No, oh, you're right. Okay. But then Coca-Cola came in the 1880s. Look, we're just gonna fold this into the there's 300 years that's true there's there is that whole thing about how Mm -hmm. there's just 300 years that don't exist so uh you're welcome i have squared the proverbial circle and uh now we can all sleep (laughs) easy at night next to our mitch mcconnell waifu pillows no i had to throw that in i had to throw that in yeah there was a tweet that came out uh that there is a company that makes uh waifu pillows of Mitch McConnell and it is it's a trip when you see this you go this is insane this cannot be who it is and then you go oh no it is oh god what hellscape am I staring into it is very upsetting it is hard to process uh geez maybe it is Joe Biden's fault but you know what isn't Joe Biden's fault Juneteenth is now a national holiday. Yeah, well, he signed the paperwork, didn't he? A great Texas export to the rest of America. So, so of course, in the spirit of national unity and reconciliation, uh, who who decided to lead that spirit of a new of of forging a new way forward? Why Tucker Carlson decided that he was going to go on and say that this is such a great? No, he didn't. Tucker Carlson said that recognizing Juneteenth as a national holiday is, quote, radical social change and and also, quote, seeks to replace the real Independence Day. Now, was it Tucker or was it Charlie Kirk that just last year was talking about how Juneteenth needs to be a national holiday? I believe that was Charlie Kirk. We passed that around it was- a couple of times. Carl, we need to start recording every other week because I am losing my. Mind. <laughs> there is a lot we trying to remember once everything. We started actively aggressively researching for all these podcasts, and I'm like, hey, you know, let's just talk about joke about fun things that have happened. Uh, like for example, there's this story from two months ago that I wish we had done, which was this uh, dog in Wales that learned that learned sign language after she had gone deaf, and I was just like, oh, I want to do a segment on this. Uh, after that moment was I just started going, uh, maybe we do have to start recording more often. So should we start recording more often? Send us an email. <laughs> just or you can call into our brand new uh sparkling clean phone line. 
Swear, swear to God, got it. Got us a, a voicemail box set up. You can call at 980-263-9841. Seriously? Honestly. I swear really? To God. Okay. That's a major improvement. Why would I lie about this? There yeah. you go. Heck, your your call might even be on Matt the Walsh show. may actually call in because he because you know he said after hearing about Juneteenth for the first time 14 seconds ago. Really? It now deeply, it's now yes. deeply meaningful and important to me, and I feel passionately that this day, whatever it is, ought to be celebrated not just in America, but across the earth and the entire solar system. Sarcasm. <sighs> I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Walsh had just learned about it 14 seconds uh, That is ago. possible. Wait, did he say 14? He did say 14 seconds ago. Say four... uh, I wonder why that number uh, came to mind. Because uh, Juneteenth. Uh... The 19th, no. yeah, no, 14 words. Oh, you see, that was a connection I didn't yeah. even make. Yeah, I'm, I well, I love casting dispersions, so here we are. Maybe it's too late to save our save this country before we become Rwanda, which is also something that Turco Carlson said this month, too. Just, just, just to let you know, guys, a national. Uh, a national holiday celebrating the end of slavery in the United States, which could not live more up to the Declaration of Independence and the ideals that are embodied in a society where everyone is created equal. Nothing could scoop from that to, okay, we've recognized this as a national holiday. We're instantly going to become Rwanda. So. I don't even, I don't even get the comparison to Rwanda. Like, I, I, I don't understand the jump. Like what, was he trying to say like there's going to be like another civil war and then why would he say rwanda why not uh, the, the civil war we already had he could have just said the civil war <laughs> but maybe it's because the maybe it's because in tucker carlson's view the quote good people didn't win that one i look kids this is the danger of growing up being fed nothing but frozen fish <laughs> Uh, but we forgot the best part about this about the Juneteenth thing, which was the tweets from Elon Musk. No. My personal favorite. So Elon Musk, June 19th, 2020. One. So quote, Juneteenth is henceforth considered to be a US holiday at Tesla and SpaceX. Oh, that's great. Really nice gesture providing Elon Musk on providing a paid holiday. And then <laughs> Elon Musk responds. It does require the use of PTO, which is true of many other holidays. <laughs> Maybe at best he gives extra PTO and you can choose to spend them on holidays. And it's just like, you know, if you want to work through like Memorial Day or whatever, you can save your, you can float your hours over to another day. But oh my God. It wouldn't make sense where he's like, yeah, you got 20 a year and 14 holidays. There you go. Luck. Wasn't there something really crazy this month that happened too? Something along the lines of, of. It was something along the lines of ICE posting a Happy Pride Month. Yes. Tweet. Yes. Oh man, it, Happy Pride, everyone from ICE. That's <laughs> what everybody wanted. Everyone to wanted hear. to hear. Uh, I, rainbow capitalism is good, but I I have quibbles about ICE trying to celebrate Pride. We we recognize LGBTQ rights by locking people up in separate cages. 
based on their based on the their the uh, gender they identify with. I don't know. Like how how do you spin that as ice? Oh, I think you just sort of send a meaningless tweet and then just let it just let it go, man. You just sort of you just fire that rocket right down the lane and then you walk away from it, right? Who knows? If it hits, great. If it, you know, beams some old lady in the head, even better. Oh, man. Um, Oof. You know, but Carl, we have been going. Oh, my gosh. Yes. How, how did we go from New York City to the Britney Spears conservatorship to this? Well, I believe it's how do we go from New York City? <laughs> Thank you.